Welcome in. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call in all time zones in between and around the world. It is Daniel Wertman coming to you live from the Dreamaginate Sports Studios. Wednesday, June the 12th. In just a few minutes, we will be joined by Jess Nash. And uh, really excited to have her on to talk to her about her work up in Wisconsin. And uh, also, if you were sleeping under a rock in the last 24 hours, you missed a world record performance by the U.S. Women's National Team. 13 goals, zero conceded. What a match. 13-0. Now, I'm going to make a statement right here at the top of the show that uh, some of you may uh, or may not like, but here it goes. The U.S. Women's National Team could have scored more goals in that game yesterday than they may score for the rest of this World Cup. Now, I'm not going to go to Vegas and place a bet on that. I'm just stating the fact that when you score 13 goals in your opening match, there is a very real possibility that as the competition gets tougher, as as the matches get closer, that you may not score 13 the rest of the tournament. So, as, as giddy as... All U.S. women's national team fans are today, and we are excited to see any aspect of American soccer excel. We've got to we've got to we've got to tamp that down just a bit in terms of the excitement and understand a couple things. Number one, it was the opening game. It could have been even bigger score. That's true. However, Thailand is just not any good. Plain and simple. They're just not any good. So, you know, it, it's kind of like um, when you when you have a, you know, middle school, right? You, you think, think of this in a middle school way. You have a kid that's hit his growth spurt, and he might be, you know, 5'10", six, 6 feet, and then you still got the kid that hasn't even started growing yet, and he might be like 4 feet tall. And you have this 2, two feet you know, differential between the two kids and, 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 you know, quite a few pounds difference. And so the, the six foot kid bullies the four, four feet kid. And, and, you know, um, it, there's not much chance of, of that, that kid that's four feet tall, able to win any kind of, of fight with a bully. And that was that was what we saw yesterday. And and when I when I say bully, I, I am not in any way saying that the US women's national team were bullies. I'm talking I'm using that as an illustration. The the US women's national team uh, you know played for ninety minutes plus extra time in the way that you should try to play in that in in, in this way that you compete for ninety minutes. And it's up to the other team to stop you. Now, there are ways you can go about doing that. Uh, you can always be looking to score. You can be looking at retaining possession for a while and then trying to score. 
But you have to you have to look at the way the U.S. women's national team play when they play against a an inferior opponent. They get score. They can get score lines like this uh, because they are set up to play really more of a direct possession based style. They are they are not a possession based style in the same way that Spain is set up. Spain is set up to 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 play and keep the ball in the midfield in the back and and move you from side to side, probe and and look to to pick their spots. I would I would say that the way Spain plays is much like a cobra that's waiting for the right opportunity to strike. The US women's national team patience may not be the right word but they they don't like to wait very long to attack they want to get the ball they want to play they want to make their runs and they want to get another attempt on goal and and that's the that's the style at which they like to play that's the tempo in which they like to play and they came up against an opponent yesterday that they couldn't stop them they were not set up to stop them uh, you could even argue that they didn't try to stop them tactically, didn't even try to stop them. They just tried to kind of play their game and, and, and everything that could go wrong for Thailand did in terms of execution, etc. Everything that could go right pretty much did for the U.S. women's national team. I mean, they're, they, they could have even scored more. Um, but when you when you watch the two teams play yesterday, I mean, it was clear that, that there was there was one that was a giant that that belongs on the world stage that that plays with a level um, that many countries aspire to reach and then there was a there was another national team on the field yesterday that didn't belong in the in the on the same on the same field quite frankly the the quality is just not there for them yet um and and so kind of looking at this performance it it's fun to get excited about that performance um does this translate throughout the tournament probably not um this was a this was a match uh, of two completely unevenly disproportionate whatever word you want to use to describe the matchup um matchup in terms of you had a juggernaut and you had a team that was completely inferior um, in all ways to the U.S. women's national team, and they were no match. Um, the U.S. women's national team, just to put this in perspective, the U.S. women's national team has a 13-goal differential after their first match, and this was the last match of the opening round of the, of the World Cup in France. 13-goal difference. Every other team in the tournament that has a positive goal difference means they won their, their opening game. All of the other winners combined have 17 goal difference. That is how much of an, of an anomaly that this performance was yesterday. Now, does the 13 goal differential hold up as the U.S. women's national team continue to compete? Do they continue to have results that are four, five, six, seven above their opponent? Or is this just 
an outlier. And I think this is probably just an outlier. If you look at the way the U.S. women's national team have been performing over you know the last uh, few months getting ready for this World Cup, they've not been going around and just blowing the doors off for 90 minutes. They have, you know, scored multiple goals in games, but it's it seems like it's taken them 60 minutes or so to get ready. Um, this, this match yesterday, they were ready from the beginning. Thailand wasn't ready from the beginning. And that was all she wrote. And, and for, for anyone that is uh, giving the U.S. women's national team grief for celebrating goals, you you could you consider and say well i would have done this different i would have done this differently whatever when is the next time that a team is realistically going to get a chance to score at will in a world cup when is this specific group of players going to get that opportunity maybe never so going through and and Alex Morgan scoring five goals and and others getting a chance to score some getting a chance to score for the first time I mean, I don't know if you saw this, but but there's video out of of Lindsay Horan's parents in the stands celebrating their daughter's goal. And someone turns turns them around and asks them uh you know what they're, you know, what they're celebrating or or you know, why are they so happy or whatever and 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 the answer is, you know, that's our girl, that's our baby girl right there or out there i'm paraphrasing just a special moment it's a moment that they're going to never forget and they shouldn't and they should celebrate it and they should be happy that that they got an opportunity to watch their daughter score in a world cup i mean quite frankly if 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 every player on that team could have gotten a chance to score they should have scored i mean you never you never know if you'll ever get another chance that may be the only goal goal world cup goal that some of these players may ever score now we hope not as fans of the u.s women's national team but you never know and so when you have a match like that you go i mean i'm reminded of whenever whenever you watch a a college basketball game and you have the managers they never get to play right the walk-ons and you get in a game where it's really, really lopsided, and it, you may be like way up, or the other team that that is way, way down. They both will kind of empty their benches, and they'll put in, you know, kids that have never gotten a chance to play or very, very little minutes. And the crowd goes crazy when one of them scores. And yesterday, the the U.S. Women's National Team are scoring and scoring and scoring. They put up ten goals in the second half. Three in the first half, ten in the second half. Thailand were, were just out, out of gas. They they had no more energy. They just couldn't keep up. And the U.S. Women's National Team just kept running through them. And they kept scoring. And they kept scoring. And they kept scoring. And they kept celebrating. And then people would get all offended that the U.S. Women's National Team are celebrating World Cup goals. It's not as if this was a friendly this 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 game matters and goal differential matters and is 13 goals going to be a threat in the group stage no but again why stop if you have the ability in a world cup to score go score it's up to the other team to figure out how to stop 
If Thailand were that concerned about 13 at, at goal number seven or eight, they could have put just 11 people behind the ball and just stood in the 18-yard box and said, we're just going to play kick the ball out. But they didn't do that. They kept trying to play. Kudos to them to keep trying to play, and kudos to the U.S. Women's National Team who kept playing. And, and their direct style of possession is what led to the 13 goals. But look... I've watched plenty as a Barcelona supporter. I've watched plenty of games in in the Pep era and even some games since where Barcelona not in a direct possession style like the US Women's National Team, but were so good on the day that they scored 8 goals in a La Liga match. A match that mattered. And they were continuing to score at the end of the match. Guys were still making runs, still trying to get on the end of a pass, still trying to connect and get the the ball in the back of the net. They were already up 7-8-0, and they were still trying for more. Because as a competitor, that's what you do. You compete. And 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 this is a big point for for all of all of the people out there who who have been critical of the US women's national team and in their defense you need to understand something about competitors. Competitors are not just competing against the competition. They are also competing with themselves. That's why greatness is, is, is seen in the world of sports. If you're at the top of your game, you're not competing with everyone else around you as much as you are competing with yourself. You're always pushing yourself. You're always internalizing the competition. You're not necessarily looking around to everyone else to figure out when you should compete, what level you should compete at, how hard you should go. You, you have an internal standard. And that's what you saw yesterday that there were U.S. Women's National Team players on the field playing to an internal standard. They compete. They're competing with themselves. They are working. Now, you can argue, you know, should Jill Ellis have left certain players on the field? Should she, should she have subbed some players off? We, sure, you can make that debate. Does the scoreline likely change? Probably not. That's how uneven this match was but regardless it was a night for us to enjoy u.s soccer fans to enjoy today uh the the lineup uh for the world cup as we enter into round two of group play um nigeria and korea have already kicked off it is uh nil nil in the 16th minute later at noon Eastern, Germany and Spain will face off. And then later at 3 p.m. Eastern, France and Norway. So we got some some good matches to, to watch today. And I don't believe any of these are going to end up 13 to 0. I, I don't know that we'll see anything this lopsided for quite some time. And uh, yet another reason in my book why um, the U.S. Women's National Team had every right to celebrate and to play and it's and, and and enjoy the night um over in France. So uh kudos to them and congratulations on that win. 13 to 0 historic night 
And it's a night that those players will never forget, nor should they, and we should all celebrate with them. And we will see how it goes from here. I, I have a feeling it's going to get much tougher, much harder, and um, and the test will will be will be much more difficult to to overcome. But uh, for that opening night, they they had a great night, a night for 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 the ages and um, and for the record book. So. The sponsor of this half hour is Dutkick Brand, D-U-T-K-I-G Brand.com, is how you can find uh, all of the really, really cool products that are made by Dutkick. And they have, you know, soccer journals. And when I say soccer journals, I don't just mean like it's a notebook with paper and you just draw, write on it or draw on it. No, they have things that are soccer-specific um products and and these products include field diagrams and the ability to take notes and chart plays um they have player journals where you where you you as a player can watch a game and ask you know see questions that you can ask of yourself and of the game to to to, to chart and learn and and learn how to process the game really really cool things that you can find at dutkickbrand.com that is d u t kigbrand.com and when you go there use the promo code dw show again that is dw show to get 10% off your order and support this show at the same time and um, I'm sure that they would t- love for you to come and check out uh, everything that they have to offer uh, it is quality stuff uh, I have personally ordered um almost every single thing in the store and have been blown away at the quality. I mean, they even have waterproof um, journals and paper. I mean, anybody out there who's ever coached, you know, set your set your notebook on the ground and you're getting it up and it's wavy paper that's waterlogged, waterproof paper. So check it out at dutkickbrand.com. We will be right back after this with Jess Nash. Welcome back into the show. Thanks for tuning in this morning. Um, we are 
Delighted to have joining us Jess Nash. She is the director of coaching for the Youth Academy of Rush, Wisconsin, also with the Wisconsin ODP and Rush Select. Jess, sounds like you have a full plate. Uh, welcome to the show this morning. Thanks for having me. So, um, give us a little bit of, of, of before we get into to all the things that you do, and and it sounds like you uh, sleep in your spare time. Um, <laughs> Uh, give us a little bit of background in terms of, you know, how you got involved in the game. W- where did this love affair w- with a game of soccer begin for you? Yeah, well, I started, um, I'm from Rockford, Illinois. I started playing at a young age and um, just loved it and uh, was fortunate enough to pursue it in college at University University. Um, it's Division three. played four years. Um, it was there I kind of re- realized that I, I wanted to start coaching. And so after graduation, um, I was a graduate assistant through Iowa State University, where I was working toward my master's in higher education leadership and um, also was with Iowa Lakes Community College, where I helped to start the women's program there. Um, and so it was really great experience and also had an opportunity to coach high school team um, there in Northwest Iowa and club and started my U.S. soccer coaching education during that. I moved on to coach with Bettendorf Soccer Association, uh, closer to Illinois, um, but still in Iowa. And I was an age group coordinator there and wanted to also use my master's degree. So I went to work at St. Ambrose University on the academic side and had had a great experience working with uh, first year students and second year students, um, helping them transition to college and had the opportunity to to advise students and teach some intro to college courses during my four years there. And uh, also had like a little stint of being a referee assigner, which was a pretty unique experience. Didn't ever think that I would get into uh, anything to do with refereeing, but um, it was a good opportunity to work with over 200 officials in the uh, Iowa, Illinois area. Um, and I did that for about five years and all at the same time. And then my husband actually was going back to school during that time where I was working at St. Ambrose and he got a job after graduation in Madison. So we picked up and moved and I started with Rush Wisconsin Soccer Club in Madison, Wisconsin. And that has been a great experience for me. Um, I've been involved with uh, Rush Select, the Rush Female Coaches Alliance, and then also have been helping out with the state of Wisconsin's Olympic Development Program here as well. So I um, have just had a great time and just Midwest, I guess all over the Midwest coaching, um, but am enjoying my time here and happy to be on your show. So to... I guess I need to ask a question, which is, um, where does this drive for you uh, come in terms of wanting to, whether it's through higher education or through, you know, being a director of coaching, leading, but that it seems to me just hearing you talk about your journey and your path, there, there's very much kind of this, uh, coaching and and by coaching I don't mean profession coaching I mean like uh mm-hmm. you know it's 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 part of your character it's part of who you are this this coaching leadership mantle that you seem to uh 
you know, always looking for opportunities to to lead and to step up and to coach. Where do you think that comes from? Oh, man, I don't know. I think I've just been so fortunate to have such a good community around me. Um, and, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough to have a good village of people. I was a first-generation college student, so when I went to college, I had no idea what I was doing, and I relied so heavily on, you know, the student support services, you know, to help me navigate the college atmosphere and environment. And um, I mean, the same goes with, with soccer, Um, you know, playing at that level. I mean, I was new to it. My family had never done that. And so I was just very fortunate to have so many good people surrounding me that I want to be that for other people now. Um, And so that's why I try to try to be part of the village. Now, as a player growing up, before you even got to a place where you could could get to college, what was your player pathway like? Were you playing, you know, travel and club? Were you playing mainly locally in your city? Kind of what what were those experiences and development opportunities like for you? Yeah, I grew up playing um, AYSO, actually. Um, you know, my parents really weren't aware of the whole club scene or, um, really couldn't afford it, even if they were aware of it. So I grew up playing AYSO and, uh, you know, had a good time and I was very fortunate enough to play through school with high caliber athletes who went on to play at high levels. And so they helped me improve as well. They, um, and Rockford is a pretty good soccer scene. There's good soccer around, so there's good athletes around. But I, I did a lot of pickup in the neighborhood. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, you know, part of what's missing now, you know, is that those pickup games that happen. Um, but just just was a lot of uh, a lot of community soccer. And it really helped propel me to to want to, you know, further my playing career and get involved in the sport after my playing career. So now you have you have taken on um, a, a role there with Rush Wisconsin, wearing multiple hats. Mm-hmm. But you have the opportunity to impact the next generation, and and be able to kind of lead the way and 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 encourage them to to um, chase the game in, in whatever way that means to them and for them. What is your what is your day to day like um, in terms of wearing that director of coaching um, for the youth academy? What what is that like on a week to week basis for you in terms of what what you're trying to accomplish in the job? Maybe some of your duties, responsibilities, etc. Yeah, well, you know, just being a part of a club and nonprofit, you wear many hats, so. I'm also involved with program outreach with building partnerships in the community with like YMCA and the local schools here. Um, and, but one thing that I keep in mind every day is um, how do we get kids to love the sport? Can we develop that at the young age? So they fall in love with the sport, so they want to continue with it. I mean, it, we, we all know that kids are dropping out around 13 through, at, you know, various sports. Um, and so how can we create an environment where it's fun, where kids want to come back, where they're learning, where they're being challenged, but they love soccer. And, um, you know, I'm fortunate enough where I get to help out with the older age groups as well. And um, some of the things I think about with those older, uh, especially girls, is how do we get them to want to come back to the sport after they're playing? How can we 
get them to start considering coaching and, um, or just, you know, refereeing or just some, some aspect of staying involved. And so, uh, but that all stems down to, you know, loving the sport. And I think that it's a, a lot of, it's a big weight that we carry as coaches is to create that environment. In terms of, of imparting that love of the game and, and encouraging that love of the game, are there things that, that you try to make sure that your coaches are doing in their trainings that creates a safe uh, learning environment, fun learning environment for the kids? Is there anything that you, you try to make sure is kind of universal in terms of the, the player experience uh, there at Rush, Wisconsin? Yeah, when I'm working with my youth academy coaches, especially, I think the biggest thing for me is it has to look game-like, and there has to be it has to be like an enjoyable, enjoyable environment. Um, and we should be using guided discovery because we want these players to start thinking for themselves instead of providing the answers. Um, but yeah, it has to look game-like. It has to be enjoyable because they, <laughs> it's not fun when you're you know, kids come and they don't really want to play because you don't, you didn't create an enjoyable environment. Completely. Um, and, and I think, I think that's uh, touching on where, where you went with that is, is right in line with the fact that, you know, I, I've shared this with, uh, with, with parents as well, that if your kid is not good at something, they're not going to enjoy it. I mean, like mm-hmm. no one wants to struggle. I mean, we endure the struggle, but we most people don't get up every day going, hmm, I wonder how many walls I can walk into today. Um, <laughs> it, right? I mean, it's it's like, nope, right. we don't set out. That's not part of the human experience that we're, we're always trying to figure out how can I struggle more? It's always how can I overcome struggle? How can I get out of struggle, et cetera? And so I, I think one of the things that, that – parents need to, to realize in in addition to coaches and clubs, et cetera, is that your child is going to have a better opportunity to love the sport if they are good at the sport. Like if their feet don't work because you don't just get out in the yard and play with them, it's not necessarily just your kid's problem. It's the fact that as parents, you have a role to play too, that you can help them. You can spend some time with them and uh, encourage them and, and encourage them not just with your voice, but encourage them with your time and, mm-hmm. and, and help them, you know, get to a place where, you know, I'm not saying every kid's got to, to develop into a, you know, messy type quality player in order to enjoy the game. But I, I equate it to, you know, your basics in school. Like if you know your ABCs and you know your numbers and then that opens the door to be able to, you know, to learn, you know, English and history and science and mathematics without numbers and without the letters and, and being able to spell and read, you're going to struggle and it is going to be frustrating. And that's kind of what it's like when you're a kid and you can't get your body to, to do what you want it to do with a ball. And part of that may be the fact that as parents, we're not doing enough uh, to just spend time with our kids and and enjoy that time with our kids so that they can learn the game, love the game, even, you know, in the street or in the backyard or, you know, in a park or whatever, um, not just organized practice. Um, And, 
You know, I, 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 to me, that's a that's an area where I think as a as a country, um, we've gotten really busy. I wouldn't necessarily just call it lazy. I think it's that we're just so busy, you know, and parents and schedules and kids and schedules and all of this, and and sometimes I think we just don't breathe and <laughs> take a moment to just go, hey, let's let's go, you know have a kickabout in the, in, in the driveway or in, or in the basement or, in, you know, what, wherever. And, and, and just get back to the simplicity of this game, which is simple and complex and beautiful when it's, when it's played um, the right way. And, and it becomes almost like a work of art uh, when executed at a high level. Um, with, with your work there with Rush, Wisconsin, you're you're building and developing coaches and building and developing players and trying to get you know obviously the love of the game to stick around beyond 13 and continue to play um what what when when a when a a young girl for example because we have the world cup going on right now in france um when a young girl's coming into the program uh do you ever hear any of them talk about dreaming of playing for the national team one day is that conversation ever had and do do you all look to inspire them by you know saying hey you can dream really big and if you work hard here here's opportunities that can happen we you know we hear more of uh you know playing in college as a goal um, you know, we, we do have the benefit of, you know, Lindsay Horan played for Colorado Rush. So we have Lindsay as a great role model for everybody that's in our club. But, you know, I am pretty adamant about taking my girls teams to local opportunities um, to watch the game so that they can see it. So we're lucky to have University of Wisconsin Badgers women's in our backyard. Um, so I, I nominate my girls teams to be the ball girls and we have, you know, rush at Badgers night. Um, we just went to forward Madison as a U- new USL one team here in Madison the, on the men's side. Um, so I try to make sure that at least once a year, if not once a season, we're getting these kids in the club involved with seeing soccer at a higher level so that they can start to dream of it, you know? Um, so, yeah. So when a kid goes to a game like that, uh, what what do they? What are some of their observations? Do they see that it's a higher level? Do they see that it's faster and, and, and better quality? Um, that what what is that experience? Do you think doing for them that that you're observing in in, in the way that they respond to those moments? Yeah, I think anytime they can watch a game, they're learning. Um, some of the sideline chatter that I hear is has been pretty funny, you know, hearing what the 10 year old girls notice in a game, whether it's speed of play or um, shots or whatever the case is. But, you know, most recently when we had a night with forward Madison, it was pretty neat to sit in the stands and hear some of the conversations that parents are having with their kids. Um, like, what are you seeing here? You know, what do you think their approach is? And um, so I think anytime you can watch the game is an opportunity to learn whether you're passive and watching it or really focused. Um, I think just the more, uh, opportunities you can give for exposure is good. Exposure is definitely good. I, I've, I think that any chance that you have to, to experience the higher level of the game, I've often said that if we could pack up everyone in American soccer and all go (laughs) over to Europe and watch, 
you know, some, some matches in Europe, soccer in America would never be the same. Like we would realize uh, on a massive scale how big uh, the game is globally and how big it could be here in America, uh, even beyond where it is today. And it's, it, it's grown a lot uh, in, in the past, you know, decades, but there's still so much we could do with the game and growing the game and reaching communities and, and providing opportunities. Um, and, and so experience is, is such a great teacher in that arena that I think, um, you know, helps open doors when people can see it. It's, it's, it's really hard for people to, to, to recognize potential or unmet potential, Mm -hmm. like what could be, but when you get to see a glimpse of it, um, you know, it's kind of that field of dreams, um, that, that, that old, uh, famous baseball movie, you know, uh, if you build it, they will come kind of thing. Like if, if you could experience it, then you would, then you'll know. Um, and, and so you having that, taking that opportunity to take these kids and let them experience higher level soccer, is gonna is gonna do so much to open their minds to possibility, and I, I think more coaches and directors of coaching should look to do that because when when a kid does get to experience that, they do get to see that next level or a higher quality. They go, wow, it's beyond just you know me and my seven or eight or nine or twelve teammates. This is this is <laughs> much bigger than that. In, in speaking, yeah, of, well, I think, it, yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Um, I was going to say, I think it falls in line with our job. I mean, we follow the long-term athlete development model that uh, started out of Canada. And I think that's part of our job is, you know, we start with the active start. We develop those fundamentals, those, those motor skills you were talking about with playing in the yard with your parents. Um, but then, you know, eventually we want to get to the active for life stage, whatever that looks like, um, whether they're getting involved with their local community club as a volunteer coach they're coaching full time. They're, you know, playing pickups, you know, in the over 40 league. Um, that's our role as coaches is to get them active for life, but it starts having a good experience at the very beginning. Um, and so, yeah, I agree. So in terms of, of your job there with rush, um, you you also work with Rush Select, and can you describe what that program is and how it differs from just Rush Wisconsin? Yeah, so there's over 48 Rush clubs in the United States. I think there's over like 80 something total, you know, with international clubs as well. Um, and so within all of these clubs, it started out of college with uh, Tim Schultz as the president and CEO. He's um, I think he was a youth national team coach for U.S. soccer at one point. Um, but he he started it, and then they started, you know, Virginia Rush came on, and then so on and so forth. And so out of all the Rush clubs, they hold tryouts um, in, a, in an identification camp um, and form teams at each age group starting at U13. And it has been Rush National Select, which I was a part of last year, and now they're they're – uh, reprogramming it to be regional, uh, regional camps so we can see more kids, give more kids opportunities, and then go to the national pool. Um, but last year I helped out with the 2006 girls. Um, I was the assistant coach, and we, we did tryouts in Arizona at Casa Grande, and we then took them, the, we, we had an A and a B team, and 
we took them to President's Day tournament in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and then we took them abroad to Italy where we competed against Juventus, um, Roma, uh, Atlanta. So it was, it was really good experience for the girls. I'm excited to continue my participation with it now, especially now that it's changing to regional. So I'll be helping out with the, um, I think it's the U15 girls. I'll be the assistant coach for, um, but yeah, it'll be Midwest region. I'll be helping out with now. Um, and it's just, it's fun. You get to see, you get to meet other coaches, learn from different styles of coaching, meet other players um, and, and coach at a higher level. So it's a really good experience for everyone involved. In terms of personal philosophy as a coach uh, from a tactical perspective, <laughs> What do you like to see your teams play, and what are you trying to get your coaches to understand in terms of 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 a, of a playing philosophy and teaching uh, a way of playing? Um, I think well, we kind of adopt one as a club, and that's just like we we're an attacking club. Whether we're defending or in the attacking phase, we're we're trying to get the ball. We're attacking the ball, um, and so you know, just staying hungry, staying focused, uh, tactically is, is kind of what we try to implement at that, at that, uh, at rush select and, and then within our home clubs as well. So very much a protagonist mentality that we're going to take the action to you, whether we have the ball or don't have the ball. Is that kind of a fair summary of, of what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's going to change from team to team, um, from club to club, there's going to be variants. I mean, every, we can't all have the same formation. We can, we can implement one when we play together on a national level, but um, you have to see what your team is telling you and, and work with what you have and uh, adapt and adjust and to create the best environment for these players to grow. So, um, so it is, you know, it is fluid. So when you when you look at you know these players that are coming up and, and your job there with Rush Wisconsin in, in terms of being the director of coaching for the youth academy you're over the boys and the girls but I want to I want to talk to you about the girls that are coming up and playing and then playing on through high school um, maybe even into college um, you're a part of the uh, Rush Female Coaches Alliance. What are you, mm -hmm. with that program, with that alliance, what are you hoping to achieve? What are you, what are you trying to do? Yeah, so, well, we were at uh, a Rush uh, Select event a couple years ago, and there was a few women sitting around the table, and we noticed that there was a disparity in representation at, at the, one of the highest levels in the organization, which is Rush Select. And so... Uh, we thought, well, how can we, you know, we, we preach about a pathway for our players all the time. How can we uh, create or advertise or market a pathway for our female coaches? And so that's kind of how the Rush Female Coaches Alliance started. Um, and uh, I'm just a part of a group of many other women who are involved from around the United States. And uh, one of the things that we worked on most recently is the Emerging Coach Program. And that actually started in my home club, um, but it has now been adopted through uh, the Rush Female Coaches Alliance and some other Rush clubs are now adopting it as well. Um, but the Emerging Coach Program basically started because um, there there is another Women's Coaches Association in Wisconsin called Wisconsin Women's Soccer Advisory Council. And um, 
great group. I'm a region representative for them. And they want to promote uh, all, all, you know, promote everybody staying in the game, whether you're a referee, administrator, player, coach, um, how do you just stay in the game um, and stay active in it? And they had their first annual coaches symposium, which they brought in Anson Dorrance this last December. It was a great event, very well attended. Um, Males, females, coaches, administrators, uh, lots of different people represented there. And um, our club decided to sponsor two of our senior athletes to go. And so I worked with um, our senior coaching staff to nominate two female athletes that they thought showed potential in, in coaching. And so we paid for them to attend. And I went, of course. Um, and I noticed at the conference that they were just so excited. I mean, how could you not, right? With, with being in an environment where you see all of these other people who are so excited about coaching and soccer and, um, you know, it's just like convention. You are just so pumped to be around uh, like-minded people. And uh, I thought, you know, we can't end this here. So I invited them to join me on my sideline uh, during um, the winter indoor season where I was coaching my uh, U11 competitive girls. And I talked to the parents and I said, hey, this is what's going on. Um, This is an opportunity for for not only these uh, high school girls to, to develop leadership and coaching opportunities, but also for your daughters to see what's next. And um, it became a really cool opportunity where um, they sat on my bench and helped us uh, assist me a couple of games. I gave them duties like, okay, you're going to cover rock. And of course it's really, you know, non-threatening in, in my eyes, at least because it's indoor soccer, you know, it's, it's quick. Um, you can't really mess it up too much. You're really just managing subs and giving them a quick couple tips. Um, it's, it's not really like, as you know, competitive fall or spring season and you know they they really enjoyed it we we worked on you know reflecting what went well what didn't go well and uh, what they would do better next time and um throughout that indoor season they had some opportunities to to serve as head coach too while I was their assistant and um it was a good experience and so uh I started thinking through this how can we make this into a program what are the next steps and um, we, we figured the next step would be, we need to encourage these girls to pursue coaching education. Um, how awesome would that be before they even enter their college game, they have their grassroots coaching license. And so we encourage them. We, we at the time couldn't pay for it. Uh, it's something we're working on now as a club to <clears throat> sponsor, not only their attendance to the coaches symposium, but also an entry level coaching course. And fortunate enough for us, they, they decided that, yeah, they, they wanted to pursue this. And so both of them attended a grassroots coaching course at the same time, passed it. And now we're looking to get them involved into um, our coaching rotation, whether they come home for a winter break <clears throat> or they're home for summer and we, we're working with YMCA during their summer camps and they need some volunteers. But getting them involved so that they know that there's a place for them whenever they're ready to end their playing career and start their coaching career. And we've turned this into, we title it the emerging coach program. You know, we say it's, it's a six month process, but you could really adapt it and make it your own. I know not everybody has a Wisconsin symposium in their state, but you know, maybe you have in-house education that you can 
make them go to, or, you know, maybe you have a huge club and you want to nominate six senior uh, female athletes a year, you know, it's really up to you, but I think um, it's a way to um, address the coaching, the female coaching shortage uh, issue that we have. And, you know, nobody can argue with how can we promote our own athletes <laughs> and to push them onto what's next. And so I think it's a, it's been a good program for us. I'm excited to do it again this year and see how it, it transforms. And yeah. How, um, I, how important is it for a young female player to get the opportunity to play for a female coach? I think this is a piece of, of American soccer, but I, I, I think it goes beyond American soccer. I think it's global soccer um, where there's, there is a, you know, obviously m- most coaches, if you just look at the numbers, the raw data, most coaches are male. So what kind of, what do you think the impact is of a young girl getting the opportunity to play for a female coach? How does that inspire them? How does that help them uh, compared to, you know, just playing you know, for the guys always. Oh, I think it's huge. I mean, it shows, I mean, it's hard to be what you can't see. Right. And if you can't see females in leadership positions, it's really difficult for you to dream to be able to do it someday. Um, but we know that, you know, uh, same sex role models uh, are important. And, you know, just as you would want, a male coach that is, you know, strong and, and uh, demanding and challenging, but yet, you know, respected. I think you want that for your daughter as well. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's highly important. I mean, the research is behind it that, you know, you need same sexual models out there and uh, slowly, but surely I think we're, we're getting there. I think, you know, the world cup, there's 38%, uh, which is an increase. There's 38% of female coaches in the World Cup right now. Um, and that's better than past years, but I think we have a ways to go. Looking looking at the the women's game in general around the world, and, and this is a great you know time every four years, you, you have a World Cup uh, cycle that, that culminates in a World Cup this, this summer, 2019, uh, being the summer of the, the Women's World Cup. When you look at the, the 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 game around the world and and the women's game, um, where do you see the biggest areas uh, that need to be addressed? What what are those as you see them uh, being involved in the game where you are? Are you saying like what what issues around the world, or where I am? Well, I'm I'm saying both. Like, what what are you seeing locally, but also what are you seeing around the world? Do they line up? Are they the same? Uh, are they different? What what kind of things are you uh, seeing or identifying that that are areas that need to be addressed in the women's game? I think support. You know, whatever that looks like. You know, there's support and infrastructure, support and marketing, support and coaching staff, support and pay. Um, you know, U.S. is a lot further along than the rest of the world in a lot of ways. We still have a, a long ways to go, but, you know, countries are catching up. You know, I, I, I really two years ago as part of the Rush Mentor Program with Tim. Tim Schultz was my mentor, and uh, we watched AC Milan's Academy, and we watched the boys play, and 
it was awesome. And then we watched the girls play and it was really far behind, even from our, the teams I was coaching back home. And I was really, and then we went back this last year and took rush select and played these club teams and major improvement from just a year, you know, and AS Roma, their girls side is only four years old, four years. You know, and that's not, not uh, an exception. I mean, there's there's other Italian clubs that are really, really young on the girls' side. So um, I think it's starting to get there, but more support is needed. Italy is certainly catching up, as we've seen in the World Cup so far. Um, I'm excited. It doesn't happen unless there's people working toward it and, and are, are not giving up on it. When you look at the, the U.S. women's national team and to see the success that they have had, um, you know, in the, in the last couple decades, they, they are the gold standard that everyone else around the world looks at, you know, in terms of the, the success they've had on the field and, you know, the, they, they've reached a standard or, or, or basically set a standard of excellence that other countries have been aspiring to to reach and are are starting to put in resources and investment to make their women's programs um, not just legitimate but excellent. When when we look at the U.S. women's national team uh, in in the way that they're treated domestically, do you think that that our women's national team is treated with excellence? Um, you know. In, in compare to, comparison to, say, the U.S. men's national team, or do you think there's still areas there that we, we need to improve in terms of resources, treatment, funding, et cetera? Well, I think the, the news speaks for itself. <laughs> you know, the U.S. women are taking it into their own hands and, you know, working or legally with, with U.S. soccer on equalizing some of those things because they feel like it's not enough. Um, and I would agree with them, you know, I hope that they find some progress there, but I think right now they're just going to be focusing on the world cup, um, and then pick up where they left off after. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, I, I, I would agree with you. I, and, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, during the 2018 presidential election cycle, um, working with Eric Winaldo on his campaign, got to know hope. Hope Solo, and, and she was obviously running as well, and her team. And we had a lot of conversations during the campaign cycle and, and talking about different issues. And one of the things that we were all kind of discussing, whether that was on public record or, or even behind the scenes, was the fact that it goes beyond equal pay. It, it's into treatment and flights and hotels and other things that I think the, the American public probably were unaware of you know, the, the, the disparity in, in some of those things. And I, I certainly think that if anyone has earned the right to get treated like royalty, it's our women's national team. They, they've proven on the field time and time again that they are up for the challenge. And um, so, uh, you know, obviously hoping that that continues with this World Cup for them uh, specifically. And, uh, and hopefully afterwards, like you said, that, um, that they will be able to pick that, that fight back up and, and continue to, to work for, uh, equal treatment um, with the federation, but also I think it goes beyond even U.S. soccer. I think it goes into Concacaf, and I think it goes into FIFA in terms of you know Absolutely. prize money and and the you know the way that uh, 
the global governing body treats uh, the women's game, you know, and when you look at the prize money disparity at this World Cup versus the men's World Cup, uh, et cetera, like, you know, at some point, I think that we've got to, to, you know, to recognize that there is this massive disparity and it does need to be addressed globally, not just here in the U.S., but globally. Um, I want to I want to ask you uh, uh, a question that I, I asked some variation of to to a lot of uh, our guests and um and and just get your your feedback or your thoughts on it and that is this if you were put in charge of u.s soccer for a day and you had supreme authority you could do whatever you wanted in your day in charge and set every rule change whatever you wanted to change like you are in charge you get to to take this culmination of all of your work leadership soccer etc and and put it to bear um as the leader of american soccer for a day what would you do with your day in charge oh man (laughs) such a loaded question man (laughs) you know oh i would work to to support the the girls game uh more (laughs) you know uh we're doing such a fantastic job on the women's side and adding that support for the playing environments, but also through coaching, I think is essential. It needs to, it needs to filter in um, to create a better environment overall. Um, So yeah, I would work, I would work to, to find some growth there. Well, look, that's a good answer. Um, You know, we're always uh, surprised or, in terms of the responses we get and and in hearing some variation of that question and where where the answer is and what what they're looking at and the the one thing i think is common when we ask this question is that there are a lot of areas where we can get better um, as a country uh, globally uh, depending on what the issue is and um, it doesn't always mean everything is you know chicken little the sky is falling but it, it does mean that there are places where we can always look to improve you know always be looking to get better and um and and find those those gaps between where we are and where we want to be and uh, i have no doubt if if uh if you were granted that authority for a day you would get a lot done um and and you've showed it uh in in, in your work so far um, and, and the leadership that you've stepped up in, in creating programs, creating opportunities, inspiring uh, girls to dream and to lead, etc. Um, keep up the great work up there in Wisconsin. Hey, thanks so much. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you. I, and we, are, we appreciate your time as well. Uh, thanks for, for coming on the show. <laughs> yeah, no problem. That is Jess Nash. She is the director of coaching of the Youth Academy uh, with Rush Wisconsin, also with the Wisconsin ODP and Rush Select. And uh, we need more women like her stepping up and inspiring the next generation to dream big and work harder. And uh, she's doing that up in, in Wisconsin. Um, if, if you have a chance, uh, connect with her, find her on social media. Um, you can find her on Twitter, connect with her there. 
at jnova5, and uh, I'm sure she would love to connect with you as well. Our sponsor for the show this half hour is Charity Water. Charity Water provides clean drinking water to people all over the world. They are changing lives one village at a time. Learn more about Charity Water at charitywater.org. We will be right back after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. You could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. been a been a good day um one nil second half just kicking off um nigeria and south korea own goal in the first half for nigeria and uh we'll see how the rest of this half plays out and again coming up a little bit later today noon eastern we have germany and spain and three o'clock eastern france and norway all three interesting matches today. So we'll see how those things go. Thanks for tuning into the show today. Thanks for Jess Nash coming on the show today. Tomorrow we have Yael Averbush West joining the show. Look forward to that chat tomorrow. And uh, it, it's, look, it the, the way that this U.S. women's national team is being criticized for going for goals is just silly. And uh, I hope they... They keep going for goals. Um, I think the tests are going to be getting tougher, but um, glad they got to enjoy that that night last night, and, and we'll see where it goes from there. So we'll see everybody tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in. As always, you can watch live at 9 a.m. Eastern on DanielWorkman.com, or you can connect with me on Instagram, Twitter, at DanielWorkman, or Facebook.com forward slash WRKMN. We'll see everybody tomorrow.